0: Adam Adams is a successful real estate investor turned professional podcaster who is now using his skill set to help others have the same success. This interview is packed full of helpful tips and strategies to make you a better investor. Adam is going to tell you the steps one must follow in order to have any success in the investing world and what the most important step is that you cannot skip. Joe also discusses how he has learned
1: over the years as a successful investor that investing isn't just one-size-fits-all and how exciting it has been getting other streams of investing income. Let's just get right down to business. Joe show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's get rolling by going into a little bit about your background. A little bit about my background is that um,
0: I I grew up in Utah. I I used to compose music when I was a kid. It was kind of funny. I, I started doing that in junior high and just really... Enjoyed it and told my junior high band director that we're going to play a symphony that I wrote at the end of the year. He laughed at me. He challenged me, and you know, jokes on him because you don't laugh at me and you don't challenge me. That those are two things you don't do with Adam Adams. So, he was like, "Well, if you if we were going to do that, you'd have to learn every single musical instrument." So I was like, "Okay, I'll just learn every instrument and prove you wrong." So I did. We played it at the end of the year. And I, had, I was only in music for a couple of months when I started composing. So it was kind of fun. Later on, I thought that I was going to be a band director. I loved music so much, I thought I'd be a band director. So I was going to school in college. 2005 comes around, and I, I purchased this piece of property, a, a real estate property. And I sold it a couple, a, a, about two years later in 2007. And I ended up making a ton of money on that real estate deal. And so I said, no more music education for me. I'm leaving. I'm quitting. I made more money on this one deal than I had ever made in a in a whole year uh, working my butt off. So that's what got me into real estate investing, and and I started doing apartments in 2007 and 2008, and felt the crash, of course. And if you fast forward after I got my tail out of my between my legs. I started doing like syndication and and all sorts of stuff in 2015 and 16 and 17. And I have a fairly small portfolio now, you know, compared to a lot of a lot of friends that I have. Um, so it's about $100 million, 1400 doors, um, seven total properties. And started a podcast about it once upon a time sold that podcast and and I've been I've been going strong on podcasting so I literally am starting the podcast on podcasting now while I'm a real estate syndicator so that's a little bit about me
1: so well, I guess there's a few things there but uh, kind of what was beyond the monetary aspect you know what was the passion for diving into the multifamily area um
0: multifamily, of course, monetization, as you said, but passive cash flow was the name of the game. Passive cash flow is the real reason why I wanted to start doing that, having multiple streams of income. I, I had been doing real estate uh, on the side through you know, having other other roles, other jobs, other thing, other ways to make money. And I always had these real estate things and um I guess it was in 2007 when i sold that first piece of property a red rich dad poor dad, and i realized that uh robert kiyosaki himself was an apartment investor i i always thought that he did houses but in 2007 i found out differently when i started studying him he made his money in business and he put his money in apartments so that was really why i decided to do that in 2007 and eight and nine and ten and eleven until i lost a property that's a story for who knows? It could be this time or another time. Um, but at the same at, at the same time, um, I, I just felt like re- multifamily was the name of the game, and I always focused on attracting capital and raising money from other people. In the beginning, it was because I had almost no money available. Uh, it was out of necessity, and then it was just. I was able to focus on larger projects and still be able to add a lot of value to other people. So there's a lot of takeaways, like why multifamily, and I can, I can share a couple. One of them is the, the uh, sharp ratio. The sharp ratio is this thing uh, m- most people don't know, um, but a couple, a couple of your listeners definitely are going to say to themselves, oh, yeah, I know what that is, of course because that's what they're into. The Sharpe ratio is interesting. It's a, it's a risk-adjusted return. And um, with risk-adjusted returns, they, they especially use this in, and the guy who found made the Sharpe ratio's last name was Sharpe. But anyway, they, they um, use this to analyze different stocks in particular, to see the difference between the volatility and the overall return. And when you take that same sharp ratio and, and apply it a, a, across all stocks, it t- turns out the S&P 500 is one of the top ones, one of the best. And it doesn't even perform that great. It's just that it, it's fairly volatile and it increases consistently over time. But what's interesting is when you take the same sharp ratio and you compare it with all real estate uh, investments as well, multifamily performs the best and multifamily performs, uh, I think it's 5.8 times better than the S&P 500. 5.8 times. This is like five, 500% better than the S&P 500. And, and so with that in mind and knowing that they're always making more babies, but they're not making more land, uh, I mean, it just makes sense to to go the multifamily route. Robert did it. Sharp ratio says I should do it. And, uh, and they're not making any more land. So it, it, there's gonna be more multifamily coming out.
1: As long as more people retain their residences or need a roof over their head, we consistently need more housing. Yeah. So what, on, on your first big deal, how did you guys uh, you know, put together a team or how did you put people around you that kind of allowed you to execute the first big deal?
0: The first deal wasn't even that big. be honest we it was a little over a million bucks and and i mean it was huge back then when i was like holy cow (laughs) this is a whole you know giant thing and um it was a little over a million and actually it was it our loan ended up being a recourse loan because it was like nine hundred sixty thousand for the loan but um how how we did that the first step that we used and and i'm not saying this is the perfect step yet i'm just answering your question, what we did. Um, we took an education, we spent about $40,000 learning from uh, a coach and a mentor in the syndication space, even though I had been doing uh, real estate for a long time, multifamily for a long time. When we went to the syndications, we wanna make sure we were doing everything legally right, that we had every advantage to be able to do well. And so, yeah, we took education. It cost about, I don't know, 39,999 bucks. And then um, after, after taking the education, I went on to bigger pockets. Again, I'm not saying this is the best way to do it. It's just how we did it. I went to bigger pockets and I created a premium account. And after creating a premium account, I additionally went into their algorithms and asked it to notify me anytime that somebody said 8 cap, and they, and they use the word apartment, and they use the word commercial, all in the same post. So if somebody used all three of those in the same post, I would get a notification. So it wasn't long after that something pinged me and there was a broker listing a property on uh, BiggerPockets for sale at an eight cap. And my, my team jumped on it because the education course that we took said that this holy trinity was super important which i don't think is important anymore our worst deals are the ones that follow the whole tr- holy trinity uh so so i want to squash that right away but um it, it had an eight cap in the first year we we had a 12 percent cash on cash and it had at least a 1.6 percent dscr and that was the holy trinity you know 8 12 and 1.6 and we purchased the property. I, I made an offer to the guy. I said, we're buying it. We're buying it. I, I like knew we were buying it for some reason. And he was a little skeptical. But when we closed, he was like, dude, I don't know what it was, but like, I wasn't going to post it there. And this and this and this and this. And I never would have thought that you could close, but now we're closed and, and I'm happy. You're happy. And So that's kind of how we went about that deal. The raise was only a little over $300,000. I don't remember the exact amount, maybe maybe around three hundred and sixty or something. Um, so it probably took us a month. It probably took us around four straight weeks to raise that first amount because we didn't know what we were doing. It was the first time that we had done this. I didn't know that I could reach out to my meetup group at the time. So there was only a couple people in my meetup that, uh, that knew me and, and they were like, hey, I wanna be on your first deal. So I let them in, but I was cold calling people. If I, only if I had their business card, I was cold calling them. And which I don't know if that's uh, fully right for a 506B, but I had their business card. So I knew that I met them. <laughs> and and this, is, this was my pitch, Joe. It was a ridiculous pitch, but it actually worked many times. And we ended up raising that money. So the pitch was um, in the most genuine way that I could ask is, Joe, it's Adam. I met you at, and I'll look up the card and it has the location and everything. I met you at this one place. How's your syndication business going? But it had to be genuine. And so I don't want somebody to just copy my script and like, not and just, do it like how is your syndication business going you're not trying to antagonize them you don't you're not trying to, you're not hoping that they say it sucks but you you ask ask it in the most genuine way you possibly can what's up joe it's adam i, I met you last year at this one event and just wanted to touch base and see how your syndication business is going and then joe would say ah oh, it's not going and then i'd say really what's going on like i, I would just pull it out i would extract everything uh, really, why not? What, what, what seems to be the problem? And they'd be like, oh, no brokers are sending me real deals. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, I, is that right? Uh, what, what kind of deals are they sending you? And then they keep going into it. And then I just, then I just have an epiphany. And I say something to the effect of, well, Joe, I mean, if the whole deal is that the broker doesn't think that you're closing on deals, why don't you just go passive in this deal that I have right now? just do the minimum and then you can let the broker know that you just closed on a multi-million dollar yep. property over here and they're like you would let me do that i'm like there's room in there and i want to help you <laughs> and so they're like thank you so much adam and then they they do the minimum and so that was how i i did it
1: that's how we raised the money so
0: anyway there's that
1: Well, (laughs) so you got the capital aspect down. How did you like, and you source the deal off of bigger pockets, right? Yeah. And then I think one of the, you know, the next things is, you know, where maybe a lot of people get wrong is the actual underwriting part, right? How did you learn how to do that? Or did you have assistance there? So I had, you know, it's funny.
0: The truth is I've never been great at underwriting. I thought that I was like when i learned it in the beginning i thought i thought that i was the shiz man i was like i'm the best <laughs> underwriter ever i've underwritten hundreds of deals at the time i mean when i bought my first apartment uh, like 2008, 8 when I, I i was managing them in 7 and i bought the first one that closed in 2008 um, but when i was looking for that multifamily i was i underwrote i at least 300 deals at least like Fully underwrote, uh, figured out cap rates, figured out which one was which, and decided how much I was going to offer. And and I and I walked through the the properties at least probably twenty different properties that I personally walked through after I made the first offer. Uh, so I, here I was, I th- I thought that I was like the best underwriter ever because I'd done it hundreds of times. But when we started looking at this property, there's this there's this guy that. Somebody in my team met at a bike park, the most random place to find an engineer that I, in, in my opinion, now there's engineers listening and they're mad at me already because they're like, I go biking, I bike all the time. But anyways, um, we, we met this, this, uh, this guy from my team met this guy, Brad, who is just a brilliant engineer, uh, a young kid who um, graduated from great school in engineering and he, he loves he could play he goes circles around me and most people he he takes like um you know no offense to my friends because all of these guys are my friends and i respect them and i re- i personally respect their template this is not coming from my mouth it's hearsay uh so so brad is like he talks about the Michael Blanc template that everybody likes. He <laughs> talks about the uh, the um, David Tupin template that everybody likes, and and uh, and he looks at them and he's like, "These are crap, man! Like these are so bad." And I'm just like, "Yeah, he's he's an amazing underwriter." So how did we underwrite it? We basically let Adam sit back and let <laughs> Brad come in and and figure it all out. Um, but as part of the underwriting that I think is a great takeaway for the listener, it, there's a couple of things. Most of, most of the underwriting, you can tweak one or two small things and it changes the entire property. And two of the biggest ones, so if you're a passive investor, you definitely want to be looking at this. And if you're an operator, you definitely want to be cautious that you're being conservative with your numbers in these two places. And one of them is called a reversion cap rate. In other words, it's an exit cap rate. In other words, and the most simplified way of saying this is that's your expectation of when you're going to sell it. You think you're going to sell it at a certain cap, they call it. And most reversion cap rates or exit cap rates, most of them are supposed to be you're supposed to add a point or two, two tenths, two basis points every year. And so basically, if you if you if you purchase it at a six cap, then and and you plan to sell it in five years, the lowest reversion cap rate that you should be underwriting to is 6.5. That's pretty standard. Or if you want to be ultra conservative, then the lowest one is going to be a seven, because you want you want to do two basis points each year, just to be incredibly conservative and there's a lot of people out there that that they're buying something they're they they're buying a per a property in a um what's called a five and a half cap area they're buying it at a three cap because they think there's enough value add and they're they're trying to say, say that they're going to sell it at a five cap and they're they're thinking that they're conservative because they bought it at a three and a half cap and their their reversion cap rate is is 15 basis points bigger than their their purchase price and so there's all sorts of like funky types of uh of underwriting out there and the problem is you you're like you some there is going to be at least a listener that's like what what is he talking about what are no. these basic points what does it mean well i'll just i'll what i'll say is if you have uh something that that makes a million dollars if the if the NOI, the net operating income is a is a million bucks, we'll just say. Um, and a lot of these properties, the bigger ones, they can they can easily make a million bucks. So you'll divide that by whatever the cap rate is. And let's just say that it's a five cap. That's that's an incredibly low five cap, which is an incredibly high price. So one million in NOI means $20 million sell price. So but just tweaking it a little bit. Okay, we didn't we didn't sell it at a five cap, but instead we sold it at just a, a 5.6 cap. And so divide it by 0.056 equals 17 million. So it's it's two and a half million dollars, different because you you made a small tweak on the reversion cap rate. And all of a sudden you you tell your investors that they're gonna make all these millions, but you don't sell it at the cap rate that you thought you would. You have a slightly different from 5.0 to 5.6 slightly different and all of a sudden you've lost two million dollars you don't know where it went you've lost money for investors so that's one example of being more conservative with your exit cap rate with your underwriting and another one is talking a little bit about the your plan your business plan for example one of the big ones that i would mention is how fast you can raise rents, and here's what most people do when they they're first starting out at like apartment syndications. They'll say to themselves, "These rents are twenty percent below um, below market," and so what they'll say to themselves is, "We're gonna we're gonna start right off the bat by putting these to the market." So right now they're charging six hundred dollars, but we need to be at seven twenty. So I'm, I'm gonna do that in, in the first year. But what they neglect to think of is how they're underwriting it is it looks like the day that they purchase it, that the, pro, the, 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 the rents are already at 720. Like they've just purchased it. They haven't even had a chance to go around and kick people out or whatever they think that they want to do. So all of a sudden they're underwriting that rents are going up in the first year, but they do it at the beginning of the year, which is insane. A lot of uh, syndicators are doing that mistakenly, and that small change can show that you're going to make a significant amount of money on this property, but when in actuality, you've got to kind of go in there. You only can flip a few of them at a time, and so once they're flipped, you can try to move people in, but not all the time. Does somebody want to come in and pay 720 when the next-door neighbor's paying 600? So it's very difficult to just go straight to market in many cases. And so all of a sudden you're, you're having some people move into the other units and then you're having to redo it. And you're, the, the, uh, the, how fast you can actually work on these units, you've gotta be kicking people. Now, if you're stupid, if you're really, really dumb, you'll make mass exodus and then raise all the rents. And sure, maybe you could achieve this in three months but probably you're just gonna get your copper stolen. But instead, what you really ought to do is is you gotta kinda do it slowly. And so conservatively, you might say, um, we get about 10% turnover in these units. And so when there's a turnover, we'll, we'll bump it up to 700, not 720, but we'll bump it maybe to 690 or something like that. And you continue to do this where they move out and you keep pushing rents, keep bumping rents, keep doing a little bit better. But it usually takes a year or two to get that thing that people are underwriting in day one that they already, oh, you you live here, you just have to pay 720 now, it's never gonna work. So just a, there's a couple, I think, tangible examples.
1: Well, since we're on the, the uh, idea of underwriting, I think so many people these days are looking to place capital into real estate, right? I mean, it's the talk of the town. I mean, even on the tech side, some people wanna allocate some of their tech money to real estate and you know, it, it's everywhere. So for all the listeners, I mean, you go out in this world, there's a lot of noise right through the internet. And so in vetting the multiple different types of syndicators syndicators that are out there and or going to real estate crowdfunding platforms, how do the LPs or the investors get comfortable with the actual underwriting projections and everything that the GPs present to them and know that and that them not knowing how to unrate themselves know that it's a good deal beyond knowing who the manager is i love your question
0: and it's a it's an incredibly loaded question because yeah. <laughs> you know it for the most part it depends and uh, additionally my advice that i'm going to give is not for everybody that's the biggest problem is that the advice that i want to give you is it's it's going to be for for some people, but others others aren't going to do it. Others aren't going to think that it makes sense and all that kind of stuff. So I do have, by, by the way, a uh, PDF that I have created on vetting, and it just talks about all the things that you, the, the main things that you need to focus on for the deal, the market, and the team. It, it, it doesn't just give you questions to ask. It really just teaches you how to do it. So it, it's it's called vetting, and you you can text it the word the that word vetting to I think five five four four four, but just just to throw that out there first in case the listener really wants to dive a little bit more deeply into this. But here here's some advice. The first step if you're if you want to become a passive investor, um, I'm going to ask you to get educated. And most uh, operators, most syndicators are going to cringe when I. Say you need to get educated. They're like, stop telling my people that they can't invest with me until they go over here and spend forty thousand dollars on their education. You're 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 holding them back. You're making them you're making them think that this is risky. You're you're doing all this stuff, and so so stop saying this. So I, Joe, you could possibly be mad at me. Who knows? But I'm going to say that the first step is education, and with a caveat to say that if you are listening and you wanna be into this, there's a few ways to get educated. You can start reading books. And I wish I was an affiliate for this book because I share it all over the place because I love Joe Farrell, he's a good guy. And um, he wrote a book called Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. And that, that book, it has a lot about raising money, but if you just skip to the part where it's, it's just talking about underwriting deals, and where it's talking about managing the deals, and it's talking about how to be a passive investor. Those three chapters in his book are going to help you because it. I want you as a passive investor, I want you to completely understand how to underwrite a deal. And I know that this is. It sounds like a lot of work, but I, I'm just saying that there's a lot of people out there that are syndicating deals right now, and a lot of them are brand new, and a lot of them don't know... I don't know a good analogy that doesn't have a cuss word in it, but a lot of them, uh, you know, don't understand what they're doing in at all, and so you're likely to lose money if you go with somebody who who doesn't have a track record. Um, so anyway, I want you to get educated so you can at least see these things in their underwriting, so you can at least ask them the right questions with how they found the deal, what they're going to do with the deal. So you can at least understand the difference between um, raising rents by 20% the first day that you own something versus you know what can actually happen in a business plan. Um, so I just want them to get educated. The second thing that I would like them to do is start to uh, um, ask around. So, the, so step two for a passive investor is, is, to, is to start calling Joe Robert up call up Adam Adams and say Adam who who do you invest with like who out there do you trust you you made it sound really scary on there and so who do you trust uh, and and that's where you start you start asking people in the business who they trust and in if they can give you one or two people you you go to that those people and for a minute all you're doing is asking them who they trust also so you go and ask all you're doing is getting credible people to, to give you more credible people, and you, you're, you're taking notes. You're getting used to all this. Once you've done that, you, I want you to make sure that you figure out what markets you're open to, and you'll need to you'll need to un- start underwriting markets. You'll ne- you want some good fundamentals. I want to give you, these are in the, the, um, the PDF that you can have for free. These are all in the PDF as well, but I'll share a couple with you now. Uh, one example is it needs to be the area, the market needs to be growing 1% year over year at least. And, and by the way, it's not an average 1% year over year. Because uh, if it didn't grow last year or the year before, but this year- it all of a sudden grew 3%, that's, that's not necessarily good. And same thing if it grew 3% and then went stagnant for a couple of years. I want consistent growth where it, it doesn't just average 1%, it's 1% each year uh, on population growth. The next thing about population, by the way, is that you want to have, uh, have it to be, at, for me, my team, we don't look at any MSAs, they're called. We don't look at an MSA unless it has at least a million people. Um, that, that live in, in the geographical area. For eg- example, uh, DFW, uh, Dallas might not have, well, it, it does, but Dallas might not have a million, but if with Fort Worth and Plano on top of it, now it has a million, boom, that, that counts because they're all in the same MSA. They're not the same city, but they're all in the same MSA. Now, I know that Dallas is enough on its own, but the, the, I, I just want the passive investor who's thinking about getting in to, to just have a, have a, at least a minimum threshold of there's a hundred um, thousand. There's a lot of operators, or I guess brand new operators out there, or some of them have been operating, but they're just going to these terrible, like small podunk areas that don't have any metrics. And you, you're gonna lose a lot of money doing that. And all they're doing is what I kind of did in the beginning with my eight cap. I was chasing these eight caps and I had to go to crappy areas to find an eight cap in in these days right if you if you want to find a if you want to be in a good area the cap rates are generally lower and so stop chasing cap rates and you've got all these new operators there so much competition and so we're, we 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 see people going to areas that have 2000 people 6000 people 10000 20000 people 30000 people and these markets are just too small to sustain anything at one little tweak happens and it could become a ghost town. So I, I just want to make sure that the listener at least puts a minimum of hundred thousand MSA. Me personally, I put a minimum a minimum of a million. Um, a couple other takeaways you want job growth to be growing two percent year over year. So population is one percent year over year, job growth are two percent year over year. And again, it's it's not an average it's it's you want to see that it's consistent. Um, you want you want job diversification. Um, You want to make sure this, this is an interesting one. It's also in the PDF, but um, it's very interesting because most people don't even think about it. But I want the I want rents to be cheaper in that area than it is to buy. And the reason why is because if if it's cheaper to live at a house than it is to own your own house than it is to rent uh, a unit then people are not gonna be renting units. They're gonna be owning houses. And so you're gonna get a massive amount of turnover. They're gonna be there just as long as they can to save that down payment so that they can go to the cheaper option. But if renting is the cheapest option, it, that means that you're in a really solid market where you, you're you going to have the ability to keep the same people in for a long time. Another another one, and and I'll, and I'll stop because I, I get so passionate about this. Yeah. But another one is just um, unit mix and unit count. Like what we're looking at is how many beds, how many baths. And additionally, when when we buy properties, for the most part, there's a mix of units. So there are some properties where it's all two bed, one bath. There's some that it's all one one There's some where it's all three, two or three, three. But most departments that I've seen, there's a unit mix. And so, a portion of them will be one bedrooms, a portion will be two, and a portion will be three. And I personally prefer having a, a good unit mix where you have a little bit of everything. And I want the fewest amount of one bedroom, one bath, depending on the market that I'm in. If I'm on a, if I'm in a market where it's mostly students, it might make sense to have a one bedroom. But for the what really I'm wanting to look for is places where a family comes because what happens when the, the family lives there is they have more stuff and it's more stressful for them to move. And so with one bedroom, you can they can just up and leave and there's a lot of churn, but with a two bedroom and a three bedroom in a place where the, the population can support families, you're more likely to get a, get families in there. The families are going to be more stressed out to try to move. So they're gonna be more willing to stay for a long time. And um, so, yeah, basically want to say without answering the entire question, unit, ma- unit count, unit mix makes, uh, makes a big difference. So you want to look at the demographics of the area, see who, who you need to serve. And you just need to make sure that your property serves that person uh, at a, as at a whole. But in general, the more unit, not, the, m- the more bedrooms and bathrooms, the longer period of time somebody will stay.
1: And the reality of all that is that there's a lot of LPs will not go to any extent to do the due diligence on all that whatsoever. And probably the best way for them would to really look at friends that have invested maybe with that syndicate syndicate for a period of time and has a, that type of track record, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean that uh, yeah, because <laughs> I've seen investors over the years, right? They're just lazy, man. <laughs> they can be lazy when it comes to doing due diligence, right? I,
0: I want them. I want them to be. Lazy in a way, because once that once they find their person, once they once they know that there's a good tracker record, once that they know that it's underwritten conservatively, um, then they can start to be lazy. I've uh, passively invested in about uh, 1100 doors and um, and I'm investing with operators that I've known for a long time that I trust that I that I've seen their track record and so that allows me and i'm not suggesting this to your listener specifically um, and, I, and i and i don't want to be called up if if you lose money somewhere but i me personally what i what i have done is just cuz the relationship is so strong and i know the track record and i'm personally an operator myself as well we operate several properties too um, it's it's easy for me to to it's easier for me to be able to vet people and know that it's gonna be doing a good job. So I'll read what I have to read, but I'm not gonna to spend too much time um, triple checking somebody that I already trust. Um, I'm not suggesting that for your listener, but that's me, honestly.
1: All right. And so what, do you, what are you specifically doing these days to go out there and raise capital and attract, P, uh, attract LPs and kind of grow your network? Good question. And
0: I, I'll, I'll let you know the PDF that we created is a PDF that helps us to attract um, passive investors as well. So it's kind of neat how how it works. The more value that we can add in this world, the more value that we can push out, like reciprocal interviews. I'll, I'll have Joe on my podcast. I'm going to come on yours. And I, I call it Trojan horse marketing, where I'm I'm being the Trojan horse here and in invading your town of Troy. And then I'm going to let you be the Trojan horse and invade... My town of Troy, <laughs> sneakfully, right? And so, what what we do is when when I go on uh, another person's podcast, for example, or I speak all over, uh, you know, at Michael Blanc's conferences, Rockleaf's uh, events, uh, all over. And when I do that, I try to have some type of I call it a lead magnet. It's just another way to way way to say it. But it's a piece of value that your exact avatar, in other words, a piece of value that you're ideal investor wants and needs. So when we understand uh, our perfect passive investor and what they want, what they're worried about, a a passive investor doesn't, they don't wanna lose money. And so if I can show them through this free resource, how they could uh, protect themselves by making sure that they get, they text vetting to 55444, then when they go and grab that resource, it'll benefit them they they'll be a safer pass investor and by the way they might just notice that every single one of those things my company does and they might be like oh i don't i don't i don't even want to go and vet a whole bunch of people let me start with adam because he already does all this stuff he gave me all this value maybe i'll passively invest with him first so that's one thing that we do to 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 um to to raise and attract more capital is we have that piece of value. Um, it's an exchange for an email address. We don't spam anybody, but we we give them some some more value on the same uh, thing that they're looking for. And what that does, it, it it. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the KLTI blueprint. Like I'm gonna make you and your listener. I, I want the listener to just kind of visualize without getting in a car or wreck or something. Uh, this KLTI blueprint. And, and think of it more like a funnel. And the top of the funnel is the K. Then it comes down to the L, then it comes down to the T. And then the smallest piece is, is that little skinny I at the bottom. KLTI. It looks like a funnel. And what what we're what we're doing with KLTI is is no like trust invest. And Joe, the the issue that I see with newer uh, operators and even actually some some very experienced operators are losing their, their they're actually losing i know that there's several experienced operators that have done more than you joe and and that's not disparaging in any way there are some operators that have done way more than you and and but their passive investors aren't investing with them anymore they're investing with joe now because joe's the squeaky wheel because joe's got the podcast he's got he's got the presence And that happens with me too. I've taken a lot of investors from a lot of people that had more experience than me because I'm always speaking at conferences. I'm always adding value on Facebook and I have a podcast that that gives and gives and gives. And so these past investors, I'm the squeaky wheel. Joe's the squeaky wheel. I, I hope all of the squeaky wheels have a lot of integrity because the fact of the matter is that's where the past investors are flocking to right now. So KLTI looks like a funnel at the top is no, I need the most amount of people to know my name. That's why I say yes. When people offer for me to speak at their conference, that's why I say yes. When people ask me to do a reciprocal interview on podcasting, that's why I say yes. When somebody asks, can you speak at my meetup? Cause I want to make sure that I'm adding the most amount of value to the most amount of people. Cause then more people know me. They're aware of what I do. Then the, the L, K-L-T-I, no like, trust, and then invest. How do I get them to start liking me? Well, the main thing that I'm doing is I, I have a, a lead magnet. I have a piece of value that I know they want, and it will help them go to the next level, and I don't even charge for it. Now that helps them say, you know what? Adam's awesome enough. Let me go ahead and download this thing even though I have to give him my email. Nobody wants to give an email, really. And so you've you got to give something so valuable that they're like, that's fine. Uh, you know, I might get a couple of emails and I can always unsubscribe, but I, I'm willing to do it this time because this, this um, vetting lead magnet, this vetting uh, PDF is awesome. It's going to save me millions of dollars, so it's worth it. So, so that, that's, how, that, that's the KL how to get them to like you. It's, it's usually a lead magnet. It's usually a way to get them on your list. And then the T is staying in front of them. The, and KLT, like T for trust, no, like trust. And you're staying in front of them. And one of my favorite things is when you get on the phone with them, you have to be your genuine real self. Uh, a, A few minutes ago, I said shiz, right? And a lot of past investors are like i'm not really sure i'm an engineer and that's a little (laughs) risque for me um but at the same time uh people if if i can just be who i am and i don't have to try to be perfect and and i don't have to say stuff then people can at least resonate with me because they know that i am who i am and that's what you need to do as well you the listener you joe just in all things we need to do, we need to be our, our we need to be our authentic self because if there's any discrepancy, then there's gonna feel there's gonna be this like dissonance between the passive and us. And so we just need to continue to be who we are, to continue to add value from the time that they come on our list. And when we get on that phone call, when we get on that Zoom call with them, we just need to be completely transparent about everything in our business who our partners are, why we're doing this, why we picked that, what we don't know, write that part down in bold, what we don't know, you got to be transparent about it all. Because just because you've never done a deal, not you, Joe, but your listener, just because you haven't done a deal, doesn't mean that you can't get that passive investors to, to being part of you. But if you try to bullcrap them, and try to pretend like you've Oh, me and my partners collectively have done 3,000 doors across America. I hear that all the time. It, like, okay, well, how many have you done? Well, I haven't done any, but like, uh, I got a team that does. Just start there then. Start at the authentic, real self. Look, this is going to be my first deal. I'm excited about it. And I don't want you to lose money. And that's why I'm partnering with this freaking awesome guy over here to make sure that you per- your money is protected why don't you just say it that way? Everybody else is like come, trying to go the back ended way. And it's just, it's offensive to me. And I think that the passive investor sees right through it. So just be your authentic self, have that conversation, ask questions and you need to get a pre-commitment. Uh, this is like one of the most critical things. If you don't notice anything else about what I'm saying on this whole podcast, you as the operator, getting that pre-commitment on that call, on the Zoom call, or if you're going having lunch, if, we're, if it's not you know pandemic times or whatever, you go and have lunch with your past investor and you sit down with them and you say, this is my sample deal package. This is a sample. It's not a real one. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for things like this. And if I find one that matches this, Joe, how much would you want to invest? Some people are doing 200, 250, or you can just do the minimum. And they say, well, what's the minimum? And you say, it's 50 grand. You say, well, I'll just do the minimum.
1: They always start with Joe. the minimum
0: and ask the minimum, right? <laughs> yeah, so, but you've you, you got to anchor it. It's called price anchoring. <laughs> you, you, could do, you could do 200 or 250 or whatever you want to do, um, or you could just do the minimum. And then you ask them, how much are you in for? You go, what's the minimum? Uh, the minimum's 25. I, I could probably do 100. Well, Joe, how much do you have again? I, I've got 150. Joe, how about, how about you do three deals with me then? You do 50 on the first one, 50 on the second one, 50 on the third one. I don't want to take 100 on the very first one. Let's, let's split it up on, into at least three. Is that fair? And the past investor says, wow, he's not even asking for all of my money. He could have got my whole 150. I thought he was going to talk me into doing the whole 150. But then he just told me to just do 50. What a, what a great guy. You know, I, I respect that because you are trying to protect your past investor. Anyway, that's just a few things uh, to, to, to share. But, but I will just say the, the worst thing that I see all the time is people that don't raise the money and have those pre-commitments that I mentioned. They go to the deal. Guess what they're doing, Joe? They're going straight to the I. They didn't do a K. They didn't do a L. They didn't do a T. They're skipping the whole, what is it called? What did I call it? Blueprint. They're blueprint. skipping the whole blueprint. They're going straight for the I. Do you know what that feels like to a past investor? when you come begging them, I need your hundred grand so I can close this. Desperation. It's, it's, it's desperation. And it feels like you, you see somebody across the bar at, at the <laughs> restaurant or something and they come over to you and they're like, I love you, marry me. And you're like, "Freaking get away from me, man. Like this is too much. And so I don't want you to skip the K, the L and the T. I want your listener to make sure that they develop that thought leadership platform like a podcast, like a book. Like I already talked about Joe. Thought Leadership Platform allows us to talk about you when you're not in the room. Joe Fairless somehow got onto this podcast with no work of his own, just because he has a book, just because he has a podcast. People talk about you behind your back in a good way when you have a thought leadership platform. So you need to get that K. You need to have your own, and you need to, you need to uh, speak at other people's conferences, speak on other people's podcasts, if you miss the K and, and you miss the L and you miss the T, you're just going to get slapped in the face. That's all. You're not going to be able to raise much money. So that's my answer on how I raise money.
1: What, I was, what came to my mind is it's not always what you know, it's who you know, right? Basically is what that, you know, the concept of what you just said and building trust with those other people that you do know, right? Yeah, 100%. And that, yeah. and that ultimately gets you to places that, where you want to go. So what, so with your podcast, I mean, what are you doing with that, you know, moving forward from here and kind of how are you expanding? I know also you have your own community, I believe in your boardroom. How are you tying that all together and expanding your network?
0: Um, One thing that, one thing that happened, I I talked about multiple streams of income. And so here comes vulnerability again, you know, just being like the authentic who you are. And, and I think that's important. Um, With, with us, we, we stopped doing distributions in 2020. Like when we saw the pandemic and everything, we felt like the smartest thing to do is to keep the capital in in the company, in the um, property itself, because it has its own LLC. So I said company, but into that property. So, so the interesting thing about most private placement memorandums when you're doing a PPM, uh, for the most part, I'm not going to be able to get paid if I'm not paying my passive investor, and so for for us, we stopped doing distributions almost almost a hundred percent on seven properties, and so um, at the end of the day, I uh, I used to I used to boast because I, for, I've been out of the rat race for who I can't tell you how many years. Like I've had, I've been able to pay for everything based on um, based on just rent coming in with all of these apartment units. And uh, I have some houses as well. But uh, here comes in t- 2019, I sold a bunch of small things. And I was like, I ju- this is just too much work to have all of these small things. And I actually got rid of a bunch of streams of income. And then we, because of the pandemic, just random, it doesn't happen every year, obviously. But we, we stopped doing distributions just to kind of protect and so I ended up, I've, I've helped a few people with podcasts in the past and I've grown their shows in, in, in remarkably fast where we've, we've done branding, we've done, um, I've t- taught them you know their strategy on what they have to do. And then we've done our strategy to help promote it as well. And they all get like ranked in the top 1%. So here I was in, I think it was like May uh, and I had helped so many people grow top podcasts. And I thought to myself, I, I'm not taking distributions. I don't know how long this is going to go. So I'm going to serve. I want to serve more people in the podcasting. So I hired a, a few extra virtual assistants. It's funny, we were talking about that before the interview. Hired a few extra virtual assistants and um, started growing this podcast post-production company and helped market people's shows. And so that's been, that's replaced my income now. I don't have to work again, finally. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then we started doing distributions, literally like I uh, first quarter of, of 2021. So um, that's come back as well. So everything's feeling, feeling nice. But I've actually loved helping people with podcasts so much that, that I, I think I'm going to be full-time in that and just be the face of my apartment investing company i've got a pretty big team in the apartment investing company so i just keep being the face of it and grow my my podcast company as well so that that's really
1: where i am Uh, is that kind of like a kiyosaki thing where he has his he always had that educational aspect but really behind doors he's also got this apartment aspect so he's taking the income here and shifting it over here for the future yeah Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, he's, he's my
0: idol. I have to say (laughs) he, he did it right. And he's a great guy. And, um, that's, that's, I'm really following in his footsteps, building more of a business where it's not just, I, I did consulting in 2019 and I made more money in 2019 than I've ever made in my life, uh, through, through, through additionally, I don't know if I should say it on air, but you know, good amount of money with my apartments and, and uh, a little over 600,000 with my, um, with my consulting. And in 2020, I was like, I don't want to consult anymore. Like it's so much me sitting there in front of somebody, even if you, even if I felt like I did pretty well with that additional thing, um, uh, in 2020, I was like, no more consulting. And when, when times got really rough, like when times, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm using my credit cards now. Yeah. I was like, uh, I was like, should I just do consulting? I could do one person and that'd be forty grand right there. And um, and I just said, no, I I, I want to build a business where I can kind of sit back. I don't I don't want to have to be a consultant. So I focused on that and it worked out. Like I'm really blessed because it ended up working out. And I could I, I could sit on the beach if I wanted to, but I think I'm going to keep growing the business.
1: Well, I think what you know, a key takeaway that I'm taking from this is that you know, everyone listening should, you know, there's not any one way that fits all, right? Like, just kind of follow the path and things will fall into your lap that you may have passion in other directions. And it's okay to be invested in a couple of different things or whatever that may be. As I'd mentioned to you, you know, I've been in real estate 20 years, but over the last couple of years through relationships in Puerto Rico, I started investing more in tech and blockchain. And for me, it was just like, you know, something I've never been involved with on the tech side. So it's kind of very interesting. And it's like a whole different wave of people and entrepreneurs that are doing this new unique thing. So now I blend it between the two where I still have real estate investments, but I'm also doing this exciting thing that is just more exciting to myself at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: I I suggest it. I think I honestly have had to learn it uh, more than once in my my life that uh, I really... Prefer to have multiple streams of income, and I really prefer to help other people get multiple st- streams of income. Like if if I help you with your podcast, I want I want you to have sponsor revenue, I want you to have affiliate revenue, and I want you to be selling your own stuff. You know, I, I really want to help support it so that the podcast makes more. With the uh, with the um, apartments, I want to help you stripe your uh, stripe your parking lot and and just put a. It's insane, you know, a twenty dollar gallon of paint it's insane how much that money that that $20 investment can generate you 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 take this $20 gallon of paint and all you do is you put like numbers of you know um, parking lot numbers on on the on a few of these and you put it maybe on 20 or 30% of your parking lot and then you would you wouldn't imagine like people will pay 20 30 40 50 or 60 bucks a month to have their own parking spot and that's it you spent 20 bucks and now all of a sudden you have a hundred people and I'm going to do the math for real quick. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing this on the, on
1: the NOI. And the yeah. I'm going to do
0: the math. Exactly. Okay. So uh, let's just say uh, 50 people times 50 bucks uh, a month multiplied by the 12 months, divide that by uh, 5.5 cap rate. Um, you just made a half a million dollars. Yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. Anyway, that, love that, that,
1: that, that was good. That was good. Uh, well, let's leave off there. And, you know, I guess the final, final question we always have for our listeners is what is the biggest thing you have implemented in your life that has increased your net worth?
0: Mindset, definitely mindset. Um, there's, there's two parts to it. I, I like to express gratitude, um, for things that I have and things that I plan to have just feel the gratitude, what it feels like. And, and, and I mean, as grateful as you can for the things that you've given, been get, given. Um, but additionally, just being open-minded to being a, uh, able to grow, which most people say, I can't, that's too big, I'm afraid. And, I, and for me, I have just worked really hard to, even though I feel those same things as you, as the listener um i still just i try to get over it as fast as possible and just be like i can do this if somebody else can do it i can do it you know they're they're i'm just as smart as they are i'm just as capable i'm just as anything and uh, if somebody else can achieve it i know that i can too and so those are the things the mindset around gratitude and just thinking bigger
1: and how do you how do you see someone kind of that may be stuck in some certain mindset, being able to influence them to do that? Is it the network or kind of maybe what is it that allows them to kind of make that decision to change their mind?
0: Uh, well, I think you fed me the answer with the network. <laughs> uh, because I that's all I can think of now is man, if 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 they are struggling with growth, then they probably ought to go into uh, a mastermind, they probably ought to stop talking to some of their friends i'm sorry but they probably got to stop talking to some of them and start talking to others and one one fast and easy cheap way to grow your network and, uh, and the people that you're around is having your own podcast and deciding who you're going to interview on your show so anyway yeah i think you're right i think it is the network uh, i'll take the bait on that one and um <laughs> And I think that that's going to be able to help them to be able to grow their mindset to, by being around other people that, that have been there too.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, growing up, right, you're kind of influenced by those around you and the school you go, up, go, go through and the teachers that teach you. And so like, you you know, getting with a different set of people that really can expand that mindset of what is possible and getting you thinking about the things that you don't know is probably what, you know, brings that more achievement but I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate coming on today. And for those, the listeners that want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to get a hold of you and if they want to download the PDF again?
0: The best way to get a hold of me for that is they, they could go to vetting to 55444. Uh, and that'll help them to be able to get, if, if, if they text vetting to 55444, they can have all of the information to be a more safe, passive investor. If they want to grow a podcast, they, I, I bought this expensive domain called growyourshow.com. Growyourshow.com. Pretty easy to remember. It kind of rhymes. And, and uh, they could just go there and connect with me there, see what we do, and even schedule a call.
1: Well, Adam Adams, I appreciate coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest. Thank you.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life.
1: The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Roberts Show.